Hello and welcome to the UCL and British Academy podcast series, Working Well with AI. I'm Rose Luckin, Professor of Learner-Centred Design at the UCL Knowledge Lab. In this podcast series, we're exploring how artificial intelligence, AI, is changing the world of work. AI has long been predicted to reshape our working lives, and it has developed in leaps and bounds over the past decade. And as we emerge from a global pandemic, we're rethinking how we work, what sort of work we value, and what we need for the future. In this episode, we will be reflecting on the AI and the Future of Work project, which has looked at issues with AI in work, including its impact on good work across sector scale, and on who can be disenfranchised as AI technologies become more prevalent in workplaces. So this is the the last podcast episode, and it's only right that we do that reflection. And we'll be discussing the kinds of research that are most needed in this space and how we should be going about filling these gaps. So it's very much trying to look across what we've discussed in the previous episodes, pull it together, and then look to see what else needs to be done. And I'm delighted to say that I have Dr. Jack Stilgo from UCL and Dr. Molly Morgan-Jones from the British Academy here with me today. So Molly, could you kick us off, please, by telling us what interests you most about AI in the workplace? Of course, and it's um, such a delight to be here today to uh, talk about this issue. Uh, So I'm the Director of Policy at the British Academy, and I think my interest in AI in work goes back to one of my core interests in the area of AI overall. So I think on the surface, it's an area that's easy to think about just as sort of a a new technology, a new innovation. Artificial intelligence sounds quite techy, but there's just so so much interdisciplinary thinking and research which needs to feed in to make sure we maximize and harness the opportunities of AI in society, but do so responsibly, equitably, inclusively. So my own background in science and technology studies is quite interdisciplinary. And as we'll come to talk about over the course of the episode, the disciplines that the British Academy represents across the humanities and the social sciences can feed in in so many unexpected yet really wonderful ways to this topic. I couldn't agree more. And I think it's something that often gets overlooked. We think of AI as being just about the technical aspects and it's so it's not. So I think it's a really important point that, that, that you make there, Molly. And Jack, what is it about AI in work that you found most interesting? So I guess the sort of the, the sort of gateway drug for debates about AI is often the sort of the sci-fi idea of you know a robot doing everything a, a, a human can do and and more besides. And I think like many people, I sort of share the the sense of excitement and threat that 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 comes with it. Um, and you know, when you when you think about that in the context of work, you think, well, you know, are humans under attack from their from their their robot creations? And there's a sort of Frankenstein a- aspect to it. But the more that I've got involved in the in the AI debate, the more I realize that actually, you know, the, the sci-fi story is a bit of a distraction. And actually what we have here is a technology that yes it's it, it's overhyped but it's a technology that promises to 
deliver enormous power. And as a social scientist, my question is, well, who will have that power? How can we ensure that with that power comes responsibility that, you know, in the context of work and the labor force, which, you know, means a huge amount to people in, in ways that go far beyond just, um, just giving them money in exchange for their for their time and their and their labor you know how can we ensure that we keep a sense of what good work is and how does that sense of good work play into the technologies that we create so there's a much longer history of automation and work that goes back you know to the industrial revolution that i think we should we should be aware of that there's nothing particularly new about AI as it applies here, but maybe there's something about the speed with which AI products can potentially arrive in our lives that gives us particular challenges for policymaking and for our own understanding. That's really interesting. Um, I'm not sure I agree about there not being something particularly different about AI, but that's not an issue to pick up on at the moment. Um, But it is very much that issue of power, isn't it? And people recognising the responsibility that comes with that power and trying to make sure that people experience good work because it is about more than just the money that you earn at the end of the day. Okay, so what kinds of things are researchers currently looking at? We've certainly explored the research that's happening over the past few months. But as we're reflecting today on some of the things that we found out through the AI and the Future of Work project, especially when it comes to this existing body of research, um, I'd love to ask you, Jack, if you could give me a brief tour of the AI and work research landscape as you see it, please. Yeah, thanks, Rose. So So one starting point might be studies like there was a very prominent study that that came out a few years ago that um, aimed to assess which jobs were most at threat from the arrival of artificial intelligence right and the i guess that the headline there was it it wasn't just you know the robots aren't just coming for working class jobs they're also coming for middle class jobs right that's the sort of the pop version of the of the headline is that if you're an accountant or a lawyer you know, artificial intelligence is is coming for you, and you know that. I mean, it 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 sort of maybe wakes a few people up um, that sort of discussion. But I think we're realizing with the the sort of full range of social research around uh, artificial intelligence and, and and work that the debate about AI and work is far more complicated, right? It's so the question of whether robots are coming for our jobs. Is a bit of a is a bit of a distraction, and actually, if we look at the ways in which artificial intelligence algorithms, you know, more simple algorithms or or older forms of robotics are getting involved in the workplace, you start to see not a replacement of human labour, but displacement in various ways. So humans end up doing different sorts of things, which asks different things of those humans and requires different skills from those uh, from those humans. It's not just um, that that we go for a, from a position of employment to unemployment. And I guess one of the ways in which we can sort of observe that in the politically sharpest terms is around the gig economy, right? The, the, the application of algorithmic forms of management 
two types of work that have been around for a while, right, which might be types of work like, you know, delivery of people and things to, to particular places or logistics in an Amazon warehouse, right? The, the addition of, of algorithms to, to there provides real challenges of um, protecting workers' rights in those, in those contexts and protecting good work in those contexts, right? There's the, that, that sense that if, you're, if your manager is an algorithm, you can be ground down quite, quite quickly and also exposed to various forms of precarity that are maybe, that are maybe worse than they would be if, you're, if your manager was a human with, with all of the sort of empathy that we might expect of those, of those human beings. So it's, for me, it's not about the replacement of human labor as much as it's about the displacement and the reconfiguring of, of human labor in these, in these places. It is, yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. The displacement and reconfiguration is a really good way of putting it, and it comes down to that relationship between the artificial and the human intelligence and, and how they can perhaps coexist, work, but also it, the way in which AI can really have negative impacts on the nature of somebody's employment. And as you said, you know, relationships such as the one you have with your line manager, suddenly your line manager's an algorithm, and actually that's really hard. <laughs> and actually, I think that picks up nicely on what you said at the beginning, Molly, about the importance of humanities and social science approaches, because I know I've been in numerous meetings about AI where the people who are building the next generation of AI or, or, or whatever it is are, are you know, super enthusiastic and they know they can build the technology to do X, Y, and C. And then it's about, well, yes, but how might that work for the people? You know, and, and, and the importance of bringing in um, humanities and social sciences. So I'd love to hear more from your perspective um, and the perspective of the, the, the British Academy with respect to that humanities and social science approaches and where you think those disciplines can make the biggest contributions to these debates, which are you know, extremely important for society. Yes, absolutely. Um, so, so I'll just I'll, I'll cover off a few areas and I'm sure I'll leave some out. Um, but so, you know, to start with humanities and social sciences are actually, as I'll start using throughout the podcast, we've started to call them the shape subjects. So referring to social sciences, humanities and the arts uh, for people and the economy. It's a really nice complement, we think, to, to STEM, um, you know, that the two work really nicely together, um, hand in hand. Um, and so I think they can contribute in, in a couple of different ways. So shape can help us understand the impacts of changes to where, when and how people work, um, you know, so and, and again, I think one of the things that's really interesting and, and Jack, I think you were touching on this is, I think for me, you know, a AI is a term and covers a whole range of things in itself, but it, but it really starts to, to spread out into other um, areas um, of, of data and how data and whole digital economy and, and the digital society is, is, is starting to, to create changes in the way we live and we work, um, you know, we just have to look around um, over the last 18 months in the pandemic, you know, obviously, you know, we're doing this um, podcast, you know, two years ago, we might have all been in the same room, we're all in three different places. Uh, we've got, you know, uptick in remote and online working, learning uh, communities, and, and all of that is going to have implications for the, the role and use of AI um, in a whole range of different settings, um, um, as well as just more kind of uh, 
virtual uh, ways of going about our lives. Um, I think shape can also help us understand intersecting inequalities that might be coming into play. And again, we're starting to touch on this, um, you know, a bit more, um, but providing insight into the groups that are most negatively impacted by um, some of the changes to work. And Jack, I liked what you said about sort of displacement and, and replacement and the distinction there, which groups might benefit, but, but actually where you might get, you know, individuals who have, um, you know, multiple different, um, you know, inequalities that we might need to be attuned to if someone is uh, disabled and a woman and caring um, and comes from an ethnic minority background. What do all of those different factors mean and how do they come together? And that's, again, where you can bring in insights from a whole range of disciplines um, across the shape subjects to try and understand what the, the individual factors are, but really importantly, how they all might come together. Um, I think uh, the shape subjects as well uh, can uh, can really be integrated into how we um, think about kind of the ethical and legal aspects of AI and new technologies. So the technical understanding of how how AI works is important, uh, and we're funding lots of researchers who look into these things. So um, you know we've got one project which you know the postdoc who's looking at AI and the right to reasonable algorithmic inferences, which I thought was a really interesting sort of you know tidy got to think about it a bit, but you know really trying to understand what are the ways in which we think about the algorithms which feed into AI um, and, and what does reasonable mean and, and, and how do we make sure that uh, the ways in which we're developing the technologies um, are taking into account a range of circumstances, you know, again, how, how people adopt, use and understand these technologies. And then again, you know, humanities has an important role to play here. Um, I didn't know until recently there's an Oxford handbook of the philosophy of AI, um, you know, and that's just kind of one way we could look, you know, historically also at different changes at different sorts of fluctuation points in society and then think about, um, you know, how that's impacted on, on work. And, and I, I want to come back to this idea about good work, um, because I think there's a link here as well to thinking we've been doing recently in a completely different program, but about the future of business and the future of corporation and this concept of purpose. And I think there's a really interesting intersection here about AI and the purpose of business in society, which I might come back to in some of our, our later um, questions. But if we're thinking about sort of businesses that are operating with a purpose and, and we're moving towards sort of a, a paradigm of a different way of thinking about the role of business in society, how do we think about sort of AI, both helping with the social purpose of business, but also not creating more problems by bringing that into the mix? I was very struck by all of, of, of what you said there, Molly, but you mentioned the ethical and the legal, and I wanted to come back to Jack because your example of the, the gig economy workers, that has really pushed that debate about ethics and legality frameworks. How do we get this piece right? I'm not sure I'm not sure we can get it right, right? Because I think I think part of the the issue with this is that is that these things sort of resist easy fixes. I think if you're if you're in the AI industry at the moment, you would love there to be a way that you could fix for some of those for some of those things, right? That you could you could find technological solutions to to those problems. Um, and as Molly says, you know those those problems might be ethically really problematic ones to do with you know inequality, bias, discrimination of of, of various sorts that we already know AI systems uh, engender in in the world. But those things are ultimately political problems. This is why the social sciences are so important here, right? Is that these things are not 
problems that can just be explained in engineering terms and then and then you know solve for x these are political dilemmas where we need to articulate new forms of of, of language new forms of, of political debate in order to work out what is at stake what the value uh, conflicts are and 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 have those discussions so i mean for me i i think there's been rather a lot of emphasis on ai ethics and actually relatively little on ai politics and i think i think it's the politics that stand to be uh, so important i think you already see it you know in the way that world leaders approach the question of of ai and recognize that it's a, you know going to be a source of enormous power uh, in the future and how that power uh, plays out is going to be is going to be hugely hugely consequential um so i think yeah getting the you know articulating those those political dilemmas is a real task for social science as is you know e- explaining you know doing the the, the fine grained work on what ai is actually doing in the world and also what it what it is right what what actually constitutes ai so so a, a wonderful new book that came out relatively recently is is kate crawford's atlas of ai where she you know she's been involved in the ai debate for a for a long time and you know this this frustration with a rather sort of speculative conversation about about ai and she says no let's actually look at what ai is what makes it up what materials go into developing ai systems what's its what's its carbon cost you know how can we make it more sustainable and also what are the what are the people doing behind the scenes right so often we pretend that ai is just a computer in a building right it's not it's got huge uh, range of what some have called ghost work right hidden labor going on in order to make our ai appear sort of magical so there's a slightly sort of wizard of oz uh, quality and i think the other thing that social science can do is really explain to the world the actual labor that goes into making ai so this isn't ai's impact on work it's the work that is required in order to 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 make ai it's the other side of the of the curtain if you like it's really important and and thanks for bringing that book up i remember visiting kate and seeing a wonderful poster illustrating some of that with respect to a particular ai device and it is a really important point and and i think the three of us understand the the importance of interdisciplinarity when it comes to looking at AI and doing research. Um, But just as a final question, I'd like to come back to to Molly and say, I know from years and years of experience how hard it is to bring different disciplines together. You you have lots of conversations where you think you've understood each other and you could have been talking for three years and you get to the end and think, oh, you were talking about something different or you've been using the same words and actually meaning something. So I just wanted to come back and say, you know, how do you overcome those challenges of really trying to bring those disciplines together? It's such a great question. And I'm just smiling because I've, I've been in those same situations. I mean, I think um, it, it's a, it's a constant process um, and and there needs to be a real awareness by everyone joining into it that there will be just very different um, disciplinary backgrounds and framings that come uh, that everyone is bringing to the table and, um, and and you've really got to keep an open mind and and not be afraid to say I'm sorry I, I don't understand that word or probably more importantly you've just used 
that word there and a good example is sort of escaping me, but that means this to me, what does it mean to you? And, and that constant, I mean, really almost, you know, like every 10 minutes or five minutes in the conversation, just checking in, because I think it's so easy to make assumptions or completely forget about, um, you know, the, 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 the words and the, the, the very deep and, and, and rightly so kind of meaningful um, disciplinary perspectives we each bring to this um, and, and not appreciate that someone else also brings that, but it might be coming from a completely different uh, point of view. I mean, one of the things that I come up against, you know, I, I, I've done more qualitative work uh, in my life than, than, than quantitative. And, and just what is a meaningful result to me as a qualitative researcher is incredibly different from someone who comes from a statistical background. You know, I might look at five case studies and start to draw out, you know, conclusions. And, you know, a statistician might say, you know, what? That, that's totally invalid. You can't do that. And so we just need to constantly be, be checking in with each other. I, I should also just say I couldn't really agree more, um, Jack. The AI politics is really important. And I think in a way, this point about AI ethics, though important as it is, has sort of dominated and meant that we, we, we need to be spending quite a lot of time thinking about the laws, the regulations, the the scholarship from a range of, of perspectives that, that really needs to start to come into the fold here. Perfect. Perfect lead into the, to, to the, the questions that I, I want us to explore now about future research. So we've done this project, we found out many of the things that are going on, but what should we be doing next? And I think this probably is likely to pick up on the discussion you've already started, Jack, around politics and and how we start exploring the implications and and how we we deal with the issues around AI way beyond just the notion of ethics and the legals. So Molly, coming to you first, um, from your perspective, and, and I think in particular when it comes to informing policy, what kinds of future research projects would you like to see? Um, gosh, I mean, there's just a huge list. I, I'm, I'm going to try to pull out uh, a few to get things going, but but we could perhaps start to develop our collective brainstorm as we as we go. Um, I think something that would be really interesting and, and unsurprisingly sort of um, fits in with other work we've been thinking about here within the uh, the academy's policy teams is is looking at the opportunities and risks of ai um, and and digital innovation more broadly and thinking about that uh, in terms of governance at different scales so sort of questions about um, how can citizens and policymakers sort of be working together and of course with business as well to harness these technologies to promote inclusivity, accountability, and participation um, across a range of areas. I think in particular, I'm interested in thinking about that in the public policy um, and services delivery space. I think there's a really interesting question to think about um, the role of of AI and work in relation to um, the leveling up agenda. If we were going to think about sort of different um, regions and sort of levels of scale and also across different um, sectors uh, of of society as well. uh, talked about it a little bit, but I do think work that sort of explores the sort of intersections of um, inequalities uh, and you know, digital inequality, um, poverty, and the digital divide, and how that might impact um, you know the ways in which AI um, is being sort of em- employed and, and, and rolled out uh, in different sectors and different places, and then who has um, both 
access to the opportunities that might provide, but also, you know, are most likely to suffer from some of the um, displacement or replacement that that might occur. Um, I'll stop there. Um, I could keep going on, but I'll let Jack come in. Sure, we'll come back to you, Molly. Actually, one question that I think about a lot is this question of accessibility and whether actually the people whose voice we need most are those who are least able to express because they understand so little about AI. I think it's really hard for many people whose lives are being significantly impacted to get a grasp of what this thing is. And and as you said at the beginning, Jack, you know, we start off with the sci-fi vision. How on earth can people understand what it's really about? I think that's a huge challenge. But Jack, I, I think we're likely to be following up on your point about power. I think that's such a really important point. But uh, if you could grow a manic, magic money tree, of course, we know there are no real magic money trees, but say you could, you know, in the UCL quad, what sorts of projects would you want to see funded by my magic money tree. Yes, I, I think that. So let me let me just start with that that point about participation because I think it's so it's so crucial, and especially in in the so in the in the context of work, you know, understanding what workers' participation in the governance and development and deployment of AI systems looks like is so important, and I think is a particular issue for AI because so often you know AI is highly expertized, it's opaque. It's it's seen as delivered from the top down, right? And so it's something that is done to people rather than done with them or done or done by them. And I think working out what a sort of more participatory alternative would be is is vital. And I don't think that's you know I don't think it's it's inevitable that AI has to be like that. I think there's a lot of at the moment there are a lot of incentives for developers of AI systems to present their solution as sort of magical and opaque and actually. You know, I don't think it, it necessarily has to be, right? I think we can make it more explainable and we can make a, imagine more democratic forms of, of, of the technology. Um, but for me, ultimately, the big research agenda is to do with understanding who, well, understanding the drivers of artificial intelligence systems as they are, with a view to analysing who might benefit from, from AI. Because at the moment, the risk is that it is, if deployed as as it currently looks, it looks like a force multiplier for inequality, and I think that should that should worry a lot of us. So I think a lot of us in the social sciences and humanities should be asking the question of what an emancipatory version of the technology and its governance looks like. Right? How can we ensure that systems are used in ways that benefit poor and marginalized communities that don't just concentrate resources, you know, financial capital, but also social capital within a very small number of, of, of uh, organizations that, that own the data, the intellectual property, or even the, the human resources to, to develop the systems. Um, I think that's a really hard question right because and and for some of the reasons that we've that we've outlined that it's you know things are developing really really quickly they are hard to understand the debate is currently being controlled by very few powerful people there's a geopolitics to it which means that there's the presentation of this sort of race to develop ai that means that anything that offers a more responsible alternative is seen as somehow slowing down a country's innovative capacity which governments uh, don't like 
Um, but I think that's the the debate that we have to insert ourselves into, right? That debate about what an emancipatory version of this technology might look like and how we can get there. Such a good question. I love it. Uh, emancipatory version of AI. Molly, would you like to, to come in on that? I, I feel sure you will. <laughs> Well, I mean, I, I, I do think it's 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 a really uh, you know critical agenda. I mean, th that topic itself just cuts across so many areas actually of policy um, and you know thinking through um, a whole range of areas. Yeah, how how do we get to? What are the mechanisms? What are the ways in which? In what spaces do we want to have um, you know more, more inclusive discussion and participation um, in, in the way we develop policies across a whole range of, of areas? I mean, one of the things that I think it was making me think about too, to, to sort of come up a level and then come back down is getting the balance right between some of the sort of more short-term um, both policy, but also research priorities, as well as the longer term ones. So sort of as we, as, you know, as, you know, as we, as we come out of the pandemic, but we also, you know, AI is starting to be used in more places across more sectors uh, at different levels. Um, how do we also think much more longer term, sort of the, 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 the two, three, five, even 10 year challenges um, ahead, but make sure we're not at a point in 10 years where we haven't been thinking about the now and it's not so much about sort of crystal ball gazing but i think there are things that that we you know can be asking ourselves now that we might need a longer um time to think through i mean one might be are there some sectors of the economy um or of society that that we we don't think ai has a place in or has a different place than perhaps uh, in other sectors um are there some areas in which you know like Arts and culture is quite an obvious one that that might come to mind. Um, but, but even in that space, you know, is there a balance to to be struck in those places? So, sort of starting to have those discussions, which do have to happen, I think, openly, transparently, inclusively, um, across you know all different levels of society. We sometimes hear use sort of dimensions of place, scale, and time to think about some of our work. So, thinking about things in different places at different scales and across different time periods, um, both backwards and forwards. So, and, and so I, I think that really speaks to what, to, to what Jack was saying about the inclusive participation and, and also that we, you know, we cannot walk blindly into this. I love that phrase, that force multiplier of inequalities, because um, I think, you know, I think as, as probably many of us have felt over the, the, the past uh, 18 months of, of this pandemic and a range of other things that um, have been going on in society, you know, our, our own biases, our own prejudices, our own sort of ways of looking at things, you know, really examining those and, and realizing there might be ways of thinking about the world that, that hadn't occurred to us. So we looked at them quite critically. I think we've got to start applying that across a whole range of areas, looking outward um, as we go forward. Absolutely. And that point that you make about time, I think, is also one that can be problematic in many different ways. But thinking about a more participatory approach, um, one of the objections that I certainly come up against a lot of time is, oh, but it takes so long. And, and I often feel it's an excuse because people don't want to engage with the transparency that would be required to have that truly participatory process. But it is also true, it takes longer. The end result is much better, but it takes longer. So how do we, how do we get around that? How do, how do we persuade people that 
the extra time is really worth paying for, so to speak, so that you get a much better outcome. Should I come in on that one, Rose? Sure. Just because I, I introduced the, the the race metaphor, right? And yeah. And as soon as you talk in terms of races, right, making the argument for slowness or making an argument that, that might lead to forms of slowness becomes um, a politically rather, uh, rather hard thing to do. I mean, for me, you know, you have to recognise, I think, first, that AI has no inevitability about it, that it is made by people for particular reasons. And once you get there, you can, you can understand then that AI might be pushed in certain directions and not others, right? So any claim that that there is a race to a finish line is is immediately falsified because at the moment you know we don't know where the finish line is going not everybody's racing in the same direction and actually we can probably presume that european american chinese versions of ai are already going to look um look rather different um so with that in mind as soon as you can sort of relax step back a bit from the the metaphor of the race you can start to think about well you know, what does good in innovation look like here? And then you can start making the case for responsibility and regulation, not as things that are trying to restrain innovation, but are trying to steer it in better directions, right? And I think we are at the stage now where we're sort of governments, companies, academics, we sort of all understand that AI left to its own devices is going to cause types of harms that really need to be understood and mitigated. So there is a role for, uh, for regulation. Um, and, you know, I, I think it's just about un understanding then, well, what, what sorts of outcomes do we want to see? And then how can we articulate those in, in technical and political terms? That's a good way of um, countering that. Thank you, Jack. Um, that's been a fascinating discussion. We've covered a lot of different areas. But before we close, I just want to come back to each of you, um, starting with Molly, and say, is there anything we haven't talked about that you feel we really should have covered today? I guess if I um, just go back to the very beginning and where we started, it's to say that though I in particular, um, and Jack to some extent, you know, we've talked about sort of the importance of, um, you know, different shaped subjects and interdisciplinary between them. I think it's also important, you know, this is about all you know, the computer science the, the the technologies, you know, the STEM expertise that also needs to feed into this. And, and, and I think when we talk about interdisciplinary thinking and research and collaborations that need to happen is across all of, of the disciplines together. And so I guess it's just to really drive that point um, home um, because as we develop new things and, you know, we, we want to think about the path dependencies that we want to avoid or perhaps those ones that we want to sort of stick on um it, it is you know it, it's going to take everyone thinking about that uh, together and all disciplines feeding in it's a really good point and I, and I do love the idea of shape subjects by the way i saw that one i think it's a really good way of de describing so you have stem and shape really helpful thanks molly jack anything from you that you feel that we really should have covered that somehow we haven't well only only to to, to build on what Molly was just saying, I think the issue and I think the frustration that a lot of us feel in the, in the social sciences and the humanities when we're talking about something like AI is that, yes, you know, while it's nice to be part of that discussion, there is a sense that it's, it's a discussion that's being framed by somebody else. And so to the point about interdisciplinarity, right, the, the work of interdisciplinarity is also a debate about power. It's about which disciplines actually are doing 
you know, are, are the ones with the most power to set agendas within universities, you know, uh, to set policy agendas as, as, as well. There is a sense that, you know, the social sciences and the hum- humanities are are sort of playing catch up a little bit, following following the computer scientists and engineers around. And it would be nice to, you know, think about ways of reframing the debate that are sort of social science and humanities first, rather than just, you know, what are the implications of technology X, which is, I guess, the, the sort of common uh, pattern that, that people like me find ourselves, uh, find ourselves in. And maybe that's ju- just about, you know, being clearer that rather than just talking about technological means, you, 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 you start with the ends and you think, well, you know, where do, where do we want to get to and how might technology get us there? And if, if AI isn't the thing, or if AI needs to be reconfigured, then then what does that mean, right? And that's so that's a sort of much more radical agenda, and requires, I guess, you know, social scientists being being given the keys to the castle, which um, Molly would probably agree isn't going to happen anytime soon. It'd be great though, wouldn't it? I, I like the idea of shape leading STEM. Is that where we're coming from? Yeah, I think we are. You know, I think but we are. You yeah. know, that that would be great. And starting off with what you want it to be like in the end, I think that's a great place to to finish, Jack. Really interesting. I shall be thinking about that now. How do? Yeah, but it's not going to happen anytime soon. But it doesn't mean we shouldn't be trying to make it happen. Many thanks, Molly and Jack. I really, really enjoyed that discussion, and I'm sure the people listening to the podcast will too. So our guest today was Dr. Jack Stilgo, Associate Professor in Science and Technology Studies at UCL, and Dr. Molly Morgan-Jones, Director of Policy at the British Academy. Thank you, both of you, and thanks to everybody for listening. Thank you. I love that. was great. Thanks for having us. listening to Working Well with AI. This episode was presented by myself, Rose Luckin. Editing and mixing is by Susie McCarthy. The series is funded by UCL Public Policy, UCL Grand Challenges and the British Academy. To find out more about the AI and the Future of Work project, search for UCL AI and the Future of Work. Thanks for listening and I hope you join us again next time.